I'm going to ask this morning if you have your Bible to turn to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. In just a moment there, we're going to look at a few verses of Scripture. And really what we're doing this morning is really just kind of completing a sermon that I started several weeks ago. One of the things we've been doing here at our church, really for the last couple of years, has just been going through the book of Luke. And we've been going through it just verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And one of the things I like about that is when we come to something that I normally don't preach about, since you're going through it verse by verse, you just have to take it on and deal with it and see what the Bible says about it. And so that's really what we've been doing for the past several weeks. In Luke chapter 9, we came to a text where Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. And so we looked at that text and saw what it meant, not only what it meant for Jesus in his day, but what it means for us today, 2,000 years later. And we looked at the unseen world that the Bible talks about. And then last week we jumped forward just a little bit to Luke chapter 11 and we saw a story very similar to what we read about in Luke chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 11 we see Jesus healing another person who is possessed by a demon. And then at the end of that story he actually gives us a parable. And it's one of the shortest parables in the Bible but it's most impactful parables in the Bible because not only does it talk about the reality of where we live right now, it talks about eternity and we see the world from an eternal perspective rather than one that is just the here and the now. So over the past few weeks we've been looking at demonic activity all around us. And we looked last week at Satan and who he is and his kingdom that he has on this earth as he is the God of this earth or the ruler of the world. And so we've just been looking at that as reality for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because in all honesty, especially in America in a western culture in which we live... We rarely talk about this stuff. And when we read about it in the Bible, our mindset is almost that it's unbelievable. And last week I shared a statistic with you, and really when I first read the statistic it shocked me, but as I started thinking about it, it really shouldn't be shocking at all. Because I told you that recent studies show that in America, 40% of all Christians... Don't believe that Satan is a living being. They just believe Satan is a symbol for evil. 40%. That is almost half of all Christians in America don't believe Satan is a living being. Now the Word of God talks about Satan all the time. The Bible mentions Satan over 177 times. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. So if the Bible talks about Satan so much and talks about his activity in the world today, why do Christians in America not believe it? Well, here's why. A few years ago, gosh, now probably over ten years ago, I was in Ecuador. And I'll never forget being in one particular village in Ecuador, high up in the Andes Mountains. We were there and the missionaries and our church had been trying to plant a church in this village for several years, but we had never had any success planting a church there. So one day at the end of a mission trip that I was on and leading, we went to this village and we just prayed over the village for an entire day. We had a team of about 30 people and the whole team just surrounded that village and walked the streets and walked the perimeter of that village and just prayed for God to bless us and bless us by planting a church there. And so at the end of that day, when we were about to get on the buses and go back to where we were staying, a mom comes up to the missionary. And she asked the missionary if we would come pray for her daughter. Her daughter was sick, and she had been sick for several months. 
And so the missionary agreed and we went to her house and we went into the living room and her daughter was laying on the couch and she had some type of internal problems and she had been bleeding and her stomach was distended and she had a fever and she had been dealing with this for about three or four months. So it was me and the missionary and then a couple of pastors from other communities had come and we were just going to lay hands on her and pray for her healing, just like James 5 says. So we started doing that. We started praying for her healing and praying. And as we prayed, the young girl who's about 14 or 15 started convulsing. She started seizing. And then when everyone, anyone in the room would mention the name Jesus, a voice would come out of her that was not her voice. It was a voice that sounded like a man who weighed 400 pounds is what it sounded like. Now I had seen this before many times traveling all over the world. But even in that moment, I was shocked. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? So let me ask you a question. What if that exact same scene had not happened in Ecuador, but happened right here at this altar? What would you think? What would you do? I mean, most of you would pull out your cell phone and start recording it. That's what most of you would do. But I will bet my bottom dollar it would shock you. But why is it so shocking? Because we read about it in the Bible over and over and over and over again. Why is it shocking? Well, here's why it's shocking. Because you and I, when we hear stories like that, or when we hear sermons like this, or when we read the Word of God like Luke chapter 9 or Luke chapter 11, we come to the Bible with a humanistic mindset. And that humanistic mindset keeps us from believing the supernatural. You say, well, that's not true. Yeah, it is. Because over the last 200 years, you and I, living in a Western culture, living in the United States of America, have been conditioned to believe in evolution. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, I don't believe in evolution. Well, you don't believe in the origins of evolution. You don't believe in the Big Bang Theory or whatever it is. You might believe in creationism, but I will guarantee you, you believe in evolution. Here's how I know. Because it shapes everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we are. You see, what we believe in our mind, this is what we've been conditioned to believe, we believe that we as people that the human race is getting better, or that we are getting smarter. Think about it like this. If I were to ask you to think about a people 2,000 years ago in the Bible, or 3,000 years ago in the Bible, you're not going to say this, but you're going to think it. You're going to think that you're smarter than they are. And you're going to think it because you can pull out a cell phone, and you can do things on that cell phone that they didn't even have to comprehend. You get to go home and lie in air conditioning when they just sit at home and sweat. You see, over time, we've evolved. We've gotten better. We've gotten smarter. And rather than looking to God for help, what do we look for for help? Well, we look to technology for help. We look for medical advancement for help, right? Have you ever said something like this? Well, thank God I live in 2019 rather than 100 or 200 years ago. Well, you might not have said it, but you've thought it. I sure have thought it. I sure love air conditioning. I thank God I didn't live in Alabama 200 years ago. Can you imagine living here 200 years ago without air conditioning? Oh my Lord, I would have sweat to death. It would be awful. So in our mind, we're thinking, thank God I live today. And we truly believe that we're advancing or we're getting better. Because we've been conditioned to think that. But that is the opposite of what the Word of God says. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God says to look back 
Look back to your ancestors. Look back generations and generations and generations and see my goodness to them. And listen to their wisdom and listen to them tell you who I am and what I have done for them. But we don't look back, we look forward. Here's how it plays itself out. As teenagers, how many people in this room thought your parents were the dumbest people on earth? My kids think it right now. Where does that come from? An evolution mindset. We're getting better. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says to honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Right? But we don't honor our father and mothers. We might think they're getting a little bit smarter as we have kids, but not until then. We're smarter than they are because we have evolved. Now, we don't say it like that. But in our minds, that's how we think. So when we come to the Word of God and read a story like Luke 11 or read a story like Luke chapter 9 and we see the disciples and Jesus Christ dealing with demonic activity and Satan, we think, well, we've advanced past that. We haven't advanced past that. Satan's just smart enough to disguise himself and disguise his schemes and his strategies so that we don't even see it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he has blinded us to truth. And that's exactly what has happened. He has blinded us and we don't see anything that is going on around us. And because we don't see what's going on around us and because we don't know the Word of God and believe the Word of God, we live in defeat. And so this morning, I just want you to see the reality of what is going on And this morning, I want you not to be blinded to truth, but your eyes to be open so that you see truth and so that you see the schemes and strategies of Satan so that you can defeat him because you have been given everything you need to defeat him and to walk in victory with Jesus Christ if you are a follower of his. So this morning, I just want to read that text that I read last week and then we're going to look at one more text in the book of Ephesians. But if you have your Bible, turn there to Luke 11. And I really want to focus on the parable, but I want you to see the context in which this parable happens. So we're going to start reading there just in verse 14. So look there at Luke 11, verse 14. This is what the Bible says. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Verse 17. He knew their thoughts, so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Now verse 21 is the parable. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until... Someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. 
And in this story, we see Jesus casting out a demon, which was commonplace in Jesus' life and the disciples' life. At the beginning of Luke chapter 9, the Bible says when Jesus sent out the disciples, He gave them power to cast out demons and to heal people of all diseases. The first thing Jesus did when He sends us out, it gives up power over demons. So this is commonplace in their life. But when Jesus cast out this demon, and when people were amazed, the Pharisees had to jump in and do something so people wouldn't believe in Jesus. So the first thing they did is they called him Beelzebub. That's the word here in Luke chapter 11 in Greek. Beelzebub. It just means the Lord of the flies. Beelzebub was an ancient Phoenician god. He was the god of death. And in Jewish literature, Beelzebub became the chief of all the demons. In many Jewish literatures, he is Lucifer or Satan. So what the Pharisees are doing is they're only just calling Jesus Satan. They're saying, Jesus, you are Satan. But Jesus takes that opportunity to teach them a few things. And he talks about a kingdom divided, cannot stand against itself. And he says, there's no way I can be Satan. Why would I be casting out my own person if I was Satan? And then he gives a parable in verse 21. And it's a short parable about a strong man and a stronger man. Now, the strong man, of course, is Satan. Because the Bible says that he is strong. And he has possessions. And he has a kingdom or a palace or a house. And that kingdom is this world. He is the prince or the ruler of this world. And his possessions are you and me. Before we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Anyone who does not believe as Jesus Christ as their Savior, is still possessed or a possession of Satan. They are under His control. They are in bondage. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Go read it. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our transgressions and we followed the ruler of this world. We all did that. And then Jesus Christ came as the stronger man and He came into the palace or the house of Satan. And what did He do? Well, He died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, what does He do? He takes us and we no longer are a possession of Satan, but we are a child of the King. He is stronger. But in our minds, here's what I think. I think once we do that and once we become a child of God and trust Jesus Christ as Savior, it's almost in our mind if we think, well, we ain't got to worry about Satan anymore. It's like He takes our file and throws it in the trash and says, forget them. But He doesn't forget us. Because He has a plan for your life. And He has a plan for my life. And here is why. Yes, in the parable, Jesus is the stronger man who comes to take the possessions of Satan. But guess who no longer lives on this earth? Jesus Christ went to heaven. And the Bible says, He will come back to this world. That's what Revelation is all about. That is our hope as followers of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, in that intermediate time, from when He went up to heaven until He returns, guess who He left on this earth to be the stronger man? You and me. Why did He give the disciples power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases? Go read verse 2, so that they can go tell people about the kingdom of God. That's why He did it. And so once we become a follower of Jesus Christ, our command is to go and make disciples. Our command is to go into the palace or the house of Satan and to take those that he possesses and give them the gospel, which is the power to save, so that they can be children of God and no longer be controlled or in bondage to sin. You say, how do you know that? Well, just listen to what Paul says. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. 
He says, but how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go tell them without being sent? That is why the Scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Well, who are the messengers who bring the good news? Well, you are the one commanded to take the good news of Jesus Christ and to go make disciples. So if you do not take the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, which is the power to save, to those who are in bondage to sin and a slave to Satan, if you don't take that message, then they never hear the Word of God. If they don't hear the Word of God, then they can never believe the Word of God. And if they don't believe the Word of God, they can never call on Jesus Christ to save them. So why in the world do you think Satan wants to stop you from doing what God has called you and commanded you to do? Because he wants to hold on to his possessions. So he will stop you any way he can from doing what God has called you to do and living a life of defeat and living a life that you have not been given the right to live as a child of God according to the Word of God. So I want you to see how he does it because it is so simple. But we fall for it every time. So one more verse. This is out of Ephesians 6. Listen to what Satan does. Paul says this in verse 10. He says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In verse 11, Paul says, For us to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The word in Greek there is methodia. It's the word we get methods from. So there are methods that Satan uses and strategies that he uses in our life to defeat us. So I know you're thinking, well, what is the strategy? In John 14, 17, Jesus says that when He departs this earth and sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has one job, and that is to lead you and I into all truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth, and He does that through His Word. That is the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Well, guess what? Satan wants to lead you as well, but he does not want to lead you into truth. He wants to lead you into something else. This is what 1 Peter 5, 8 says. Peter says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's interesting to me there that when Peter refers to Satan, he refers to him a roaring lion. Not just a lion, but a roaring lion. Do you know why a lion roars? A lion roars for a very specific reason. And he roars when he's about to attack his prey. And he roars to terrorize his prey. Or to send fear into his prey. Because when that prey is in fear or terrorized, they stop and they are paralyzed for a split second. And it gives that lion time to attack so that he can attack and kill his prey. And that's the same thing Satan does to you and to me. Jesus says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. How does he do that? Through fear. Satan always leads us into fear. Every single time. And he's been doing it forever because it works every single time. When we are afraid, it paralyzes us. The Greek word for fear in the New Testament is phobia. It's the word we get phobia from. And phobia means to strangle. It means to bind. It means to stop. 
Whenever we are afraid, what happens to us? It stops the work of God, the flow of God in us. It paralyzes us every single time. And so many things spring out of fear. It's amazing what comes out of fear. Anxiety comes from fear. Worry comes from fear. Shame comes from fear. Depression comes from fear. All the things that we struggle with, so many of them, they reside in a spirit of fear. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says in 2 Timothy that God did not give us a spirit of fear. So anytime you are afraid, you can know for sure that is not from God because He did not give you a spirit of fear. The Bible says He gave you a spirit of power. So whenever you're afraid, it is a strategy, a method, a scheme of Satan to stop you from what God has placed you on this earth to do. Think about the number one reason why you don't tell people about Jesus Christ. Why you don't share the gospel. What's the number one reason? Fear. Of course it is. We're afraid. We're afraid of what they might think about us. We're afraid we won't have the right words to say. We're afraid that we will fail. It is fear. What's the number one reason that you don't worship in freedom in this place? Fear. Because you're afraid of what someone sitting next to you might think. Fear controls our life and it strangles us. And we allow it. That's what's amazing. The Bible says over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not fear. It is a command in Scripture to do not be afraid. But yet we fall for it every single time. Why? Because we don't understand what the Word of God says about us and what the Word of God says about us. So I just want to let the Holy Spirit of God lead you into truth this morning by giving you just a few verses of Scripture so that you don't have to be afraid. Just so that you can fight back against Satan. The same way Jesus did in Luke chapter 4 when He was confronted by Satan. Satan came and tempted Him three different times. And what did Jesus Christ do every single time? Quoted the Word of God. You can do the same thing. You have that power because the Holy Spirit has given you truth. So I just want to give you One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Because I go to it often because just like you, I struggle with fear. Everyone struggles with fear. It's what Satan does in our life. But in Isaiah 43, the Bible to me gives one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. And it is the reason why we do not have to fear. I just want to read it in part. Just listen to what the Bible says starting in verse 1. Isaiah 43, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who forms you says... Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. And I know you're thinking, well, is that enough? Why? I still am afraid. Well, he goes on. He says that I'll be with you in verse 2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Now notice there, he doesn't promise that you will never go through deep waters. He doesn't say that you won't walk through rivers of difficulty or walk through the fire. He just says when you do, when you suffer, when you face hardship, when you are hurting, he promises that he will be there with you every single time. In Daniel chapter 3, there are three Hebrew boys who face exactly what Isaiah 43 says. They are thrown into the fire. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are thrown into the fire because King Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue of himself. It's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he commands that everybody in the kingdom bow down and worship him. But these three Hebrews will not bow down and worship 
So the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar calls them before him and gives them one more chance to bow down to the statue that he set up. But those three Hebrew boys stand to the king, the most powerful man in the world, and they say this. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. The God whom we serve is able to save us. But then he says this, but even if he doesn't, be assured of this, we will never worship your gods or bow down to the gold statue that you have set up. And the Bible says at that moment, Daniel chapter 3, that King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he threw those three Hebrew boys into the fire, into a blazing furnace. And he wants to watch them burn and he wants to watch them die. So he looks into the furnace and when he looks in, he doesn't three three. The Bible says he sees four. And Nebuchadnezzar himself says, the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. Well, it wasn't the son of the gods, it was the son of God. It was Jesus Christ. Why? Because Isaiah 43 says, when you walk through the fire of oppression, I will be with you. Why? Because He loves you. That's why. Look at the last part of the verse. Verse 4. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I believe with all my heart, if Jesus Christ could stand right here this morning, right where I'm standing, and if He could speak anything into your life, He would speak Isaiah 43, 5 into your life. He would say, I love you. You are precious to me. I traded my life for yours, so don't be afraid. I am with you. We do not have to fear. Why? Because Jesus Christ loves us. Because He is our Savior. He has ransomed us. And He promises to always be with us. So when you fear, understand that it is not from God. Understand it is a strategy of Satan to stop you and to paralyze you. and To make you live an anemic life. And that is the church in America. We live anemic lives rather than walking into the strong man's house and taking his possessions. What we have been given the authority and the power and have been commanded to do. I'll give you one last verse. It's in the last book of the Bible in Revelation 12. And in Revelation 12, Revelation 12 gives us the defeat of Satan and what happens to him and what is going to happen to him when Jesus Christ returns. And I just want you to listen to what the Bible says here in Revelation. In verse 10, this is what the Bible says. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night, and they have defeated Him. By the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Now, what in the world is this talking about? It's talking about Satan. Who is the accuser of the brethren or the one who accuses us before God day and night? The Bible says that is Satan. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters have been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. And verse 11 is the most important verse. Because it says, and they, who is they? Well, that's brothers and sisters in Christ. That's you and me. And they have defeated Him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Who defeated Satan? You and I. And they have defeated Him. 
brothers and sisters in Christ. So how did we defeat him? By the blood of the Lamb. Whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are washed in the blood of the Lamb. The blood that He shed on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says that blood makes you as white as snow. But not only do we defeat Satan with the blood of the Lamb, we defeat him with our testimony. What is your testimony? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. What should your testimony be? Well, Here's what it should be. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was God, and the Word became flesh. Who is the Word? Jesus Christ. He is the Word. Where does the Spirit of God lead you? Into truth. Where do you know truth? Through the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. How do you know who Jesus Christ is? How do you know that Jesus Christ lived? How do you know that He died on a cross? How do you know that He's your Savior? How do you know the love of God and the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God? There's only one way you can know. The Word. Why do you think I preach the Word of God? Why do I tell you to pray the Word of God and to memorize the Word of God and to read the Word of God? Because this is our testimony. This is our power. And this is how we will defeat Satan and go into a strong man's house and take his possessions. It is through the Word of God. Greater who is in us than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God is in us. And He leads us to truth through the Word, which is who? Jesus Christ. The Word of God. We do not have to live in defeat. We do not have to live as captives. Because we have the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimony. So stand on your Word and use the Word. In Ephesians 6, guess what Paul calls it? The sword of the Spirit. happened to the church in America. It's because we have a humanistic and an evolution mindset. And because we don't want to offend anyone. We take the word. And we marginalize it. And we say things like, well, yeah, that happened a long time ago, but this is what you can believe today. We don't talk about all the word we pick Pieces that we like and leave out the parts we don't like. And then we wonder why 40% of all Christians in America don't believe Satan's a living being. It's because they don't know the Word of God. That's why. And if you don't read the Word of God and study the Word of God and memorize the Word of God, guess what? The same is true for you. We need to be people of the Word. Because it's our hope. It's our future. It's our power. By the word of your testimony. And by the blood of the Lamb. Bow with me, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the power that you have given us in this word. For the hope that it leads to the salvation that it brings. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us 
for letting our fear strangle out our faith in this word. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that right now the Spirit of God would come and lead us into truth. God, lead us to your word. Lord, we just give you these moments. And Lord, our desire is to meet with you in this place. and To be changed by you. So Lord, people who are struggling with fear. Lord, let them walk out of this place in freedom. Lord, people in this place who are a possession of Satan. Let them walk out of this place a child of God. We just give you these moments. And we pray that you would move and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we close, this is how we're going to close this morning.